Okay, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14. Let's read this text and we'll jump into this. This is a celebratory text that, uh, that Paul, as Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, he's really kind of gotten to this part of his letter and he's really kind of uh, celebrating with them and it's talking about uh, he wants them to be strengthened and encouraged as they're walking, as they're kind of walking through this life. Look what the text says in 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory to the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Yeah. All right. So that's how Paul uh, wraps up his, uh, this piece with a song. Uh, so right off the bat in this text, uh, we've got a, a, a place that I'm going to do a poll on today. Look in uh, verse 14 right here. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And so here's the question that I want you to think about in our text today. Is Paul thinking about whenever he says, I'm going to bow my knees before the Father? Is he thinking about like a posture of honor that he would bring before the king, the king of all kings? Or does he speak of kneeling and being in a sense of posture and prayer? So here's your two options. Is this a posture of honor or is this a posture of prayer? Okay, we're going to vote. And everybody must vote or you get kicked off the island. All right, so we're going to vote. Is this a posture of honor or is this a posture of prayer? Who says posture of honor? Raise your hands. Okay. Who says posture of prayer? Raise your hands. Some of you did not vote. I don't know who you are. The Lord sees you. All right, let's, let's do one more time. Posture of honor. Who are my posture of honor people? Where are my posture of prayer people? Where are the people that still haven't voted? I know where you are. All right, so here's the truth. Uh, commentators are, are really divided over what this actually means. Uh, a lot, in, in that time, the way Jewish people would pray is many times they would pray standing up. They'd pray standing up. Their eyes would be lifted up to heavens. And so they wouldn't do the things that we do a lot of times. A lot of times our posture of prayer is on our knees with our heads bowed and in that kind of posture. Many times Jewish people in that day would pray this way, looking up to the heavens. Sometimes they would just keep their eyes open and pray like this, okay? So it could be those kinds of things. Um, but in either case, whichever one you voted for, uh, what you're saying in that time and what really Paul was, uh, was trying to get across to the church at that time was that God is supreme, okay? He is supreme and he's declaring him as supreme in everything that we do and that we are needy people in need of, of, of help and rescue and hope from God. That's what he says. That's what he said in this. Let me ask you this. How do you pray? 
How do you pray? Do you pray with your eyes open? Do you pray with your eyes closed? Do you pray the same prayers over and over again? Like if I were to ask you to pray, would your family around you go, I know what they're going to say. They pray the same thing all the time. Or would your prayers be something that you're actually communing with the God of the universe? Are your prayers rote? Are your prayers where you're always asking for something? Like, think about it. I'm serious. Think about this. Are your prayers where I've got a laundry list and God, here's the things that I want from you? Or sometimes you spend your time in prayer just listening and hearing and waiting to see what it is that God has to say to you. And when you hear, are your prayers about helping you obey what it is that you hear? He goes on, verse 15, and says that it's not only for every reason I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Here's some more questions. Has Paul suddenly become a universalist? Look what he says here. What what does he say right here? He says that every family. Is Paul a universalist? Is Paul saying that every family on the face of the earth belongs to God? Is Paul saying that in the end, that everybody, no matter what it is, actually ends up heaven bound and will all be with God in heaven? Is that what Paul's saying? Problem that I've learned with this verse is that we don't have anything really in our English language that captures the kind of play on words that Paul used in the original text. The term that is translated family is the Greek word called patria. And it really refers to all the descendants of a particular patriarch. And so in one sense, the whole Jewish nation descended from who? Yeah, Abraham. They they descended from Abraham. And so it's back from Genesis. Remember our study in Genesis that this is where Abraham, God said, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make, I'm going to make you as your descendants as much as the sand is in the sea, the stars are in the sky. Uh, but, But the way that this particular text is talking about it, it doesn't just refer to a single family as it might in our culture. Another question you might think of as we get to the text like this. Does this whole family or every family in heaven and on earth refer to the elect family of God, the church universal? Or is this talking about just the fatherhood of God as creator of all human beings? What does it mean? There's difficulty, honestly, if we just take this individually and go, this is what this got to mean. If we take this verse, then this is what this has got to mean. But in the context, it makes sense if we read it in a different way. Here's what the NIV says. The NIV reads this verse this way. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. From every family, and, uh, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And so what the NIV, the, what that's teaching us 
is that the family of God incorporates those who are in heaven as well as those on earth. And so what are you talking about, preacher? I believe the Apostle Paul uh, is referring to members of the family of God who are in heaven. He's giving us somewhat of an introduction to the doctrine that is part of the Apostles' Creed. Here's what the Apostles' Creed says. I believe in the communion of the saints. The Apostles' Creed says, I believe, what does that mean? What, what does that mean, preacher? What this means is, is that the church universal, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, includes people from all tribes, includes people from all nations, includes people from all times, not just this church, and that we have this mystical fellowship with people who are literally around the world, who people who have come before us, who people that will come after us. We have this mystical fellowship that we are in the same family. It's outside of even the scope of our relationships that we think about today. It's, it includes those who are living right now. You can look around. Look around the room and go, these people, people here who are Christians, I am in fellowship with these people because we all call ourselves Christians, if you're a Christian. But not only includes us who are in this room, but literally people who are around the world. And it includes those who have gone on to heaven before us. That's all part of our mystical family, this, 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 this spiritual family that we have in Christ Jesus. We use family language at Refuge a lot. And we use it very specifically because God makes strangers not only friends, but God makes strangers family. Like when we call you brother or we go, man, we are family here at Refuge. I mean, we really mean that because that's the language that the scriptures use. And that may feel weird, and that may seem weird to you, and you're like, bro, I don't even know the people that sit behind me in this church. How do I family with them? I, 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 don't ask me anybody's name, because I don't want to be put on that spot. Just enter, here's what you do. Here's the trick. Hey, I'm Scott, and they'll say their name. It just happens all the time. Now, don't pull that trick on me and not say your name uh, from now on. <laughs> but we just, we just, we're just made family in Christ Jesus. The gospel makes us family. We are adopted into a family of God. God becomes our father and we become brothers and sisters. Speaking of our brothers and sisters around the world, you know, we're in a very precarious time. A precarious time and now Russia has invaded Ukraine. Uh, we're seeing some heroism that I haven't seen in a long time that we see in the uh, that I've seen come up in social media posts about uh, their, their president who's like putting on fighting uniform and going, man, just send me bullets. Don't find me a place to be, just send me bullets. And so uh, we've got brothers and sisters. We, we've, got, uh, we've got a new couple that's just come to refuge. A new, a new couple that has just come to refuge that has family literally in that area, in the region around uh, Chernobyl. And so what I want us to do right now church, because we're a family, because we are united with our brothers and sisters around the world, because there are literal, if it was your literal brother and sister that was in the middle of something like that, what would you want the church to do? Pray. Do you know what we're going to do? We're going to pray. We're going to pray right now. And here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to do what you normally do in church, and that's to stop and just be quiet and listen to somebody else pray. I want you to pray. Okay. So we're going to take just a few minutes and we're going to pray for Ukraine. You, you pray where you are, and then I'll end up closing this, okay? Let's pray together right now.
God, it is, uh, it is good that we can seemingly interrupt what's going on to boldly approach the throne room of grace to find help in our time of need. And so we come on behalf of our brothers and sisters and the people of Ukraine who are just in harm's way, who've been invaded by, uh, by Russia, uh, who, who are in the middle, literally, God, while we're here listening and worshiping and singing, God, they are in the middle of fighting for their lives. God, they're in the middle of having to flee their homes Men are sending their wives and children away and staying behind to to fight the Russian army. Uncertainty and fear and uh, uh, things like that are swirling around, I'm sure, in people's heads. People are already dying left and right, God. And so it is our hope, God, that you would strengthen them in their inner person, God, that you would strengthen them in their inner being, God, that you would give them resolve in where they are even today. Each person who is having to face this this drastic attack, God, strengthen them, specifically our brothers and sisters, God, uh, who you know by name, who you've called from the beginning, who you've known before they were even born. God, I pray you cover them and protect them. God, I pray that you would strengthen the Ukrainian people in the face of this aggression. God, I pray that you would give them, God, I pray that you would multiply their resolve over and over. God, I pray that you would help them stand firm and stand strong. God, as your people that are literally around the world, the other side of the world, not really having to deal with this at all, truthfully. God, you help us in our resolve to barrage the throne room of grace, to come to you regularly, to ask for your help on their behalf. God, would you do such a miraculous work that the world would look at this and go, what has happened here? This should not even happen. Ukraine should not be able to stand against the forces of Russia, yet look what's happened. And God, we can point to you and see your sovereign hand at work to overcome this terrible invasion. Truth is, God, I don't even know how to pray. My words seem feeble in the face of such times. But you know, God, you know what needs to happen. You know the best thing that needs to happen. God, we just pray for that, for your will to be accomplished in this. I pray that the bullets will stop flying soon. Bombs will stop dropping soon. Lives will be spared because of your hand at work. Help us, Lord. Help them, Lord. Help us as a people to continue to remember Ukraine. To pray regularly for your help. Help us, O oh God. Help them, O oh God. That is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Think about what we just did. We interceded on behalf of our brothers and sisters literally on the other side of the globe. If the Holy Spirit is with them. 
Spirit of God is with them. Even now, with our brothers and sisters on the other side of the globe, the Spirit of God is with them. Just like he is with you and me here, he is literally with them. We are family with this global church. Those are literally our brothers and sisters in Christ. We just prayed for. To be a Christian means to be in Christ and for Christ to be in me and for Christ to be in them and for Christ to be in us together. So every follower of Jesus, every Christian is in this union with Christ, though both here and around the world. And we die whenever our life comes to an end, whenever a Christian life comes to an end, that doesn't end there. Our union with Christ doesn't end whenever we die. On the other hand, not not at all. The scripture says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from that union that we have with Jesus. If anything, our our union is enhanced with Jesus, right? Our faith has been made what? Whenever we move from this life to the next, our faith will be made what? Sight, yes. What we believe and what we trust and what we have faith in, our faith will be made sight. So the truth is, if I have a saving relationship with Jesus, I am in this union with Jesus. And if I am united with Jesus, I am also in this union with every other Christian that is around the world who is likewise united with him. Our unity with our brothers and sisters here in this room and around the world is through our Savior himself. This is why we care for one another. This is why we pray. This is why we, this is why we care for Julia's family. This is why we care for people that we meet on the street. And this is why we care for one another. This is why it matters when injustice happens in our, in our midst. It's why we we care whenever people fall on hard times and they need help. It's why the Apostle Paul says here that our, our name, our identity, our family heritage comes from Jesus and him rescuing us from sin and death. That is our identity that we have been, all of us have been rescued from sin and death and all of us are made family in Christ Jesus. He is making us his own. He is making us his people. He's making us his family. We pray many times so that what Paul goes on and writes in verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And the first part of 17 says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, one of the things, you've heard me say this before, that one of the phrases, one of the church phrases that I don't like, and I don't like for us to say that most of us, especially as uh, good southern church-going people, is that we ask Jesus what? Into our hearts. That we ask Jesus into our hearts. Now, churches, a lot of churches that I know, a lot of people that I know, use that language whenever someone becomes a Christian, whenever, they, whenever they're saved, when they repent and believe the gospel, we say that they've asked Jesus into your heart. I, I, I don't like that language. And you're like, well, preacher, it says it right here in verse 17. Why don't you like the biblical language? Well, this, that, that, that phraseology has become such a commonplace Christian idea 
Um, it's become such a part of our heritage. Uh, you may find it astonishing that that's only mentioned how many times in the Bible? One. Yeah, good idea. Good answer. Good answer. It is mentioned one time in the Bible. You know where it's mentioned? Right here. Right here in our text today. This is the only place that you're going to find where the scripture talks about asking Jesus or or talking about that Christ may dwell in our hearts um, richly. Now, he, uh, he talks about him indwelling us before, but he doesn't specifically mention the heart. But all through the scripture, we see what command? So I say it all the time. So what? There's two things. First one is R. Repent, yes. And then what's the second? Believe, yes. What is it? Repent and believe the gospel. That's what we encourage you to do here at Refuge is to repent and believe the gospel. Far and away, this is the biblical language. And so here at Refuge, and I hope honestly in your lives and in your homes and your vernacular, listen, words mean things. Words are important. The words that you say, how you describe something, we're always discipling one another. You're always discipling your children. You're always discipling your friends. You're being discipled by other people, whether you know it or not. Your language means something. The words you say mean something. And whenever we say, hey man, I'm going to ask Jesus into my heart, what does that mean? But if I say, man, I'm going to repent of my sins and believe the gospel, you can understand that that means something, right? Can you? You understand what I'm saying? Those are very different phraseologies. We know intellectually that they mean the same thing, but words mean things. And it's important for us as Christians, specifically in today's culture, that we use right language, that we use the right words. So here at Refuge, I want us to be more precise. I want us to use biblical language whenever we talk about repentance and faith and whenever you talk about becoming a follower of Jesus. And what Paul is talking about here in the text is that whenever a person has authentic faith, he has, again, this real union, this real relationship with Jesus. And whenever we exercise our faith in Jesus, his righteous, righteousness is counted towards us. That's, the, that's what is happening. That when we repent of our sins and believe the gospel, that Jesus' righteousness is accounted towards us. No matter how bad we've been, no matter what our past looks like, that in repentance and faith, righteousness is accounted towards me. And we are justified. And at that same moment, Jesus, by virtue of the Holy Spirit, literally comes to dwell within us. That's what verse 17 says, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And with that, whenever Christ indwells us, whenever we are filled with the Spirit, then we have the ability to live a life that is different. We have the ability to die to ourselves. Man, that's that's not a popular American culture thing, dying to ourselves. But it is a Christian virtue. It is a Christian thing that happens to us whenever the Spirit of God comes to live within us because we're called to die to ourselves. We're called to die to our old self. We're called to be filled with the Spirit and for the new man to come and live. A new man that has filled with the Spirit. 
We're called to think of others more highly than we do of ourselves. We're called to turn the other cheek. We're called to be generous people that give with abundance, just like Charles did. I asked him to take his time and use his time, and he went further than that. He gave out of his time and out of his treasure and out of his knowledge. He gave and cared for someone else that he had no opportunity to know who they were. They couldn't do anything back for him. He just cared for them. Things we don't typically do in our own flesh. And when Christ dwells in our heart through faith, we are in turn, when that happens, when that truly happens, then we, our lives, will display something that isn't normal to us. And that's the fruit of the Spirit. What is that? Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Gentleness. Goodness. Self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. When the Spirit indwells us, that's the fruit that comes out of us. So in essence, what Paul is writing to the Ephesians and to us today is that if Jesus has saved you, then the Spirit indwells you. And if the Spirit indwells you, then we should live differently. And I've missed all my text here, sorry. I'm all over the place today. We should live differently. Brought by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are called to, to be strengthened with power in our being that Christ may dwell in us richly. Here's the question I keep asking. Does, does Christ dwell in your inner being? Does the fruit of the Spirit actually show itself in your life? Do you live differently because of it? It's a simple yes or no question. If Christ dwells in our heart richly, then we keep going on and see what it says in verse 17. Here's what it says. That you may be rooted and grounded in love. May have strength to comprehend what is the with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Let me stop right there. And so, so Paul is reminding us Christians that we are rooted and grounded in love. And so he talks about two different words here that I want us to look at. Rooted in love and grounded in love. And these metaphors kind of give us this picture of what he's trying to say to us. Look, when he talks about rooted in love, he's talking about deep roots. Now think about deep roots. We just had some storms that came. And what happened when those storms came to a lot of the trees around in our area? What happened to them? They, a lot of them fell over, Right? A lot of them fell on power lines, a lot of them fell on houses, a lot of them fell on cars, a lot of them fell into the streets, a lot of them fell into your yards, all those kind of things happen, right? And so uh, 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 Paul uses this metaphor of being rooted and grounded in love. What about the trees that didn't fall over? What did they probably have? Deep roots. And so when the storms came, what happened? They blew, they were like blown around like this, right? Yeah. Everybody do this. You're a tree. I'm a tree. Say this. I'm a tree. And I'm blowing in the wind. 
blown in a storm. Yeah, but my root, the roots of that tree were deep, and so it withstood the storm. It withstood the storm because its roots were deep. He says, we are rooted and grounded. So grounded thinks about, thinks about the opposite direction. Think about a foundation, something that can be built upon. If it is grounded, something is grounded, it means it has a firm foundation. And so not only are our roots deep, but our foundation is strong. So Paul says that you may be rooted and grounded in love. If you, if you know Jesus, then those two things would be true about you. That you are deeply planted with gospel truth. You are deeply planted with gospel formation. You have a knowledge about who God is. You know, not about, just not, not, not a knowledge about who he is, but a real knowledge of, of, of him personally. You have an understanding about being rescued from sin and death. And so you're not only rooted in that, but you're also growing. There's fruit. Remember we talked about the fruit of the Spirit? Paul's giving a picture of that whenever he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, that this flows out of you. Think about fruit on a fruit tree. What happens? It's nourished, and it takes in information. It takes in water and nutrients and sunshine, and from that fruit grows off of a tree. Same thing with you. When the Spirit of God nourishes you and, and you grow in the Spirit, that there's fruit that comes out of you. It just comes out. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. All those things are true. Whenever we are rooted and grounded in the gospel, that gives us the ability, empowers us to love one another. Do you have trouble expressing love for one another? Stop and think. Do you have trouble expressing love for one another? Do you have trouble expressing love for people who are not like you? You have trouble expressing love for people who are of a different political persuasion than you. Listen, Christian, listen to me. Listen to me. If politics is on the tip of your tongue and you're a Christian and that's what flows out of your mouth regularly, bro, drop it. Look, I, I have my own political beliefs. But that does not trump the fact that I'm called to love people. Whoever you are, whatever you believe, that does not trump, that's not the trump card. Do you have trouble with loving people who are different shades of skin from you? That's hard in the South. For whatever reason, through the years, the church has stayed segregated. The church has stayed separated from one another. And we seem to be okay with that. I promise you, Jesus wasn't a white guy. Are these things present in your life? Is the fruit of the Spirit evident in your life? If not, then maybe you're not rooted and grounded in Jesus. Look at verse 18. Paul goes on to say 
But his desire for those who follow Jesus is to comprehend just how vast is this love for which we are loved by Jesus. This vast love, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Jesus is so big, it ought to, that, that love is so big that it ought to change us into something else that is unbelievably loving towards other people. And you know what I just watched last night? Carol and I watched last night. Um, uh, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. That movie. You know what it's about? Mr. Rogers. Man, such a heartwarming movie. Um, and I was impacted by the depiction of Fred Rogers' love and care for people. And I thought, man, that's what it ought to look like. Our love and our care for people, especially as Christians, should look a lot like that. Attention, care, empathy, understanding, a desire to know, a desire to serve. That's what it should look like. Let's keep going. Verse 19 Paul says, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, now this is extremely important to each of us. Um, look what it says here in uh, verse 19. He says that this love of Jesus surpasses knowledge. Uh, let's, let's do a little work here. That the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. The love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now listen to me. Knowing Jesus, listen, is not knowing about Jesus. Knowing Jesus is a lot more than just some intellectual exercise. Knowing Jesus is more than just religious activity. Knowing Jesus surpasses all those things. That's what the text literally says. That the love of Christ surpasses all knowledge. The love that he has for us, the love of Jesus surpasses all knowledge. And knowing him surpasses simply just knowledge. The devil knows about Jesus. The devil knows who he is. That didn't make him part of the family. This goes to the innermost beings of who we are. The love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Listen to your pastor. Do you know the love of Christ? Does the love of Christ dwell in you richly? See, Paul says that the fullness of God will be within you if you know Jesus. It will be part of who you are if you are a Christian. And that as that that fullness of God fills you up, it is impossible to be the same person as you were before. Paul writes this kind of as a verdict. Let's go back and read this together. Look back in 16 with me. That, um, 
that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's what he says it should look like for us as Christians. Now, Imagine if we did this exercise. Imagine if um, I invited you each one to come up on this stage and stand right here in this bright spotlight with me. One by one and ask you to stand here. And we'll take this a less controversial way rather than bringing you up here and sending you in the spotlight, let's just do a self-examination. From today's text, here's your self-examination. If I were to bring you up here and say, are these things true about you? You're going to do it in your seat. Is there power in your inner being? Does Christ dwell in your heart, in your be, in your inner being? Are you rooted and grounded in love? Do you have strength from the Holy Spirit? Is there a power from the Holy Spirit that is filling you regularly? Are you filled with the knowledge of the love of Christ? Are you filled with the fullness of God? The truth is, there's some days that we probably don't feel this way. But is there a trajectory in your life that you're moving towards that? Is there a power from the Holy Spirit that is filling you regular, even a desire to be this way, a desire to live this way? If not, then you need to listen to this gospel preacher. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to examine your life today. Examine your life today. Bring it to an apparent realization for you today. And either have the Spirit agree with your spirit that, yes, you belong to Jesus, or today needs to be your day of salvation. It's one of two things, okay? It's one of two places that I want each of us to find ourselves today. That my spirit agrees that with the spirit of God that I belong to Jesus or that I don't belong to Jesus and I need to be filled with the spirit today. That's the two places for each of us. And if you find yourself here and you need to go, I need to be filled with the spirit. I I need to be a Christian. I need to be born again. Then we'll encourage you to repent from this life that you live. Embrace the salvation and the fullness of Christ that you find. Preacher, you say, I I, I don't know if I can do this. I I don't know if I can live this kind of life that you Christians live. Well, the bad news is, yeah, you can't. It's impossible. The Christian life is an impossible life to live in your own power. Amen? It's an impossible life to live in your own strength. 
That's why many of you don't follow Jesus today. You don't follow Jesus today because you've tried and you've tried and you've tried again and you're just going through this religious exercise, even being here today or watching us somewhere online today. You've tried and you've tried and you've tried and you just can't do it. I'll just tell you, you'll continue to fail miserably if you continue on your own. But the good news is, is this is not the way of Jesus. What's the way of Jesus? The text tells us. Now to him who is able, say he is able. To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. Paul says this, that this is all about Jesus. Jesus is able. Say it one more time. Look, he is able to do far more abundantly. We get to do our thing. He is able to do far more abundantly, far more abundantly than we could ever even imagine or think. What is it that you need Jesus to do today? You should ask him and then keep on asking him to do far more abundantly than you can ever even imagine or think that he could possibly do in your life. See, Jesus has done for some of us the most abundant thing, and that's to rescue us from our sin and death. He's granted us eternal life. Born again, John chapter 3. We are born again, securely belong to Jesus. But for some of you, you need Jesus to save you today. He saved a wretch like me. He'll save a wretch like you as well. Paul says this happens through the work of the Holy Spirit. Look, your life can be changed. Your life can be different. Your life can be lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. Your life can belong to Jesus today. And as a follower of Jesus, he'll do far more abundantly in you and through through you than you can even imagine or think. You think he can't use you? He'll use you. He'll use me. He'll use you. More than we can ask or think. In us and through us. You think God can't use somebody like you? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all you can ask or think according to the power at work within us. Not according to your power, but according to the Holy Spirit that lives in you. He can do through him in you more than you can imagine or think. And it says this in 21, I'll be done. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever, forever and ever. Amen. See, I pray that today that this church and this people be a people that point people to Jesus. Today, tomorrow, for generations to come, after you and I are gone, that the people that will be part of this family, this church family, this family of God, forever and ever, amen, will be pointing people to Jesus. For him to be glorified, he is our hero Lord, let this be. Amen. Let me pray for us.